It's not going to take part in the, the Lord's Supper. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper for his church to observe perpetually. This was meant to be a reminder of what he had done for us on the cross. And it was meant to be a way to look forward to his return. As we take part of the Lord's Supper tonight, we are taking part in something Jesus established and the church has consistently done since the time of the apostles. Taking part in the Lord's Supper is an act of worship. This is important because often we narrowly and wrongly limit to worship to music and singing. Well, of course, music and singing are worship. They are not the only ways we are to worship our God. Worship is simply demonstrating the value or worthiness of someone. In this case, Jesus. And as we take part in the Lord's Supper, we're not following a meaningless ritual. Instead, we are worshiping our Savior through a visual reminder of His work on our behalf. Every part of the Lord's Supper has meaning. Now, this is not a meaning we give to it. This is a meaning Jesus Himself has given to it. So let's look at that. Open your Bible to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, page 877, if you have a pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. God's Word says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a person must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For the one who eats and drinks, uh, eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, he does not properly recognize the Lord's body. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number are asleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are great and wonderful. Worthy of our praise and devotion. Again, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what happened at Calvary. And the hope and the freedom and the salvation we have because of that. Focus our hearts and minds tonight. Lord, we're going to look at a passage that's familiar. We're going to take part in something many of us have done. Maybe hundreds of times. Over and over again. The danger of that, Lord, is it loses its significance. So tonight... Help us to be focused. Let your spirit speak this word to us afresh and let what we do tonight. Father, let it let it be an act of worship to you. But Lord, let it be something that works in our hearts, strengthens us and our devotion to Christ, sends us out into a lost and a dying world determined to see Gaiman one for Christ. We ask this in his name for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. And many of us have taken part in the Lord's Supper on numerous occasions, and we know the significance of each part of the service. Uh, but it's important for us to be reminded about familiar things so they don't lose their significance. In verse 24, we were reminded about the bread. 
of the Lord's Supper, it represents the body of Jesus. The body of Jesus broken on the cross. The body of Jesus broken on the cross for us. That's significant. Right. And that's when we talk about the cross and his death, it's always not just that he he died, that he died for us. This is the significance. He didn't die for for them out there. He didn't die for this or something like that. He he died very specifically for you. He died very specifically for me. And so this must always be on our minds. And as we eat the bread, we are reminding ourselves of the abuse and the punishment Jesus bore in our place. In verse 25, we see the cup represents the the blood of Jesus that sealed the new covenant and also for us. Jesus' death on the cross shed his precious blood. And in doing this, he established a new covenant between God and us. In this new covenant, our sins are forgiven and taken away. Now, this is significant, again, because in the old covenant, sins were not taken away. In the old covenant, sacrifices were made year after year, and it was meant to be a reminder of the fact they had sinned against a holy God. And all it did was roll their sins back for one year until the next year when they had to make the sacrifice again. But our sins have been completely Taken away by the sacrifice of Jesus. Right? We are free from condemnation. Our sins haven't been merely rolled back. They've been taken away. And they're not, along, they're not on us or a part of us any longer. It reminds us we are adopted as children of God. Again, significant change. In the old covenant, the people of Israel considered God to be the father of the nation... But no individual Jew would have ever said God was their father. And yet in the new covenant, Jesus set an example for us on how to pray our father, which art in heaven. The apostle Paul said, we've not received the spirit of fear that brings us into bondage, but we've received the spirit of adoption, enabling us to crowd Abba father. In the new covenant, we have unlimited access to God in prayer. Now, in the Old Testament, they or the old covenant, they could pray. But in the new covenant, we have more than just we pray. We have access to God. We we can live in the presence of God. In the old covenant, there was a, a veil separating the holy place from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, which which was the the, rep, the physical representative of the presence of God. At the death of Jesus, that veil was torn in half from top to to bottom, signifying God had rented a twain and, and now made it possible for all people to go into His presence. As the book of Hebrews says, we go boldly into His presence. So we're not merely praying to God. We are being with God and we are talking with Him. This is the new covenant. In the new covenant, we're given the Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us. In the old covenant... The Holy Spirit came upon prophets and priests and kings. The Holy Spirit came upon judges. And the Holy Spirit, when He came upon people, He never lived upon them. But the Holy Spirit would come upon them for a time. He came upon prophets so that they would say, Thus saith the Lord, but then He would depart. He came upon kings so they would judge righteously, but then He would depart. He never came to to live among them, to live within them, to always be there. But you and I, In the new covenant, 
The moment that we repented of our sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit made us new and then He took up residence within us. And then He leads us and empowers us on a daily basis through our lives. In the New Covenant, we have a hope so great the trials of this life cannot compare to it. Now the Old Covenant, they had that kind of hope as well, but they did not know it as clearly as what we know. The Old Covenant is really the New Covenant concealed. There was veiled references to Jesus. These things that signified what He would do, what He would be like, but it wasn't clear as it would become in the New Covenant. There was evidence of living with God after we died, but it wasn't clear as it is with us. So we have the same hope they had, but we have it made more clear. The book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians says that it's not entered in the mind of man what kind of things God has prepared for his people. That's the old covenant. The new covenant, because the text goes on to say, but they've been revealed to us through his spirit. The old covenant had a hope, but they didn't understand the hope clearly. We have a hope and we understand it clearly because it's been revealed to us in the word. So as we drink the cup tonight, we're reminding ourselves of all of these things that have been given to us, that God has he has covenanted with us to do these things in us and through us and for us. We're reminding ourselves these things cost us nothing. We we did not earn any of these covenant promises. We did not do anything to acquire them for ourselves. We simply believed in the Lord Jesus and God did those things within us. But we're also reminded that while they were free to us, they cost the Lord Jesus everything. They cost him his very life. At the end of verse 24, it says, and the end of verse 26, it says, do this in remembrance of. Of me. So this is Jesus speaking, the Apostle Paul recording, that as we do this, we are to remember Jesus, remember his body that was broken for us, remember his blood that sealed the new covenant for us. But there's more to, there's more to remembering Jesus and taking the Lord's Supper than a vague reflection on Jesus or vague thoughts about the cross. Instead, The idea is we are to focus our mind and heart on the person and the work of Jesus. Everything we're going to do tonight is meant to engage our minds and our imaginations in such a way as to give us tunnel vision. So all we see, all we think about, all we're focused on is Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. So we take part in the Lord's Supper, our minds and hearts ought to have a laser like focus on who Jesus is. And what he has done for us on the cross. Then in verse 26. It says as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we take part in the Lord's supper. We are proclaiming the death of Jesus. And our anticipation of his return. And part of what it means for us to be proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. Is we are identifying ourselves with him. As we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we are proclaiming Jesus died. But not just that Jesus died, that Jesus died for us. But not even just that Jesus died for us, 
but that because of his death on our behalf, he is our hope. He is our righteousness. He is our wisdom. He is our redemption. He is our all in all. As we drink the cup and as we eat the bread, we are declaring in a visual way, visually declaring we belong to Jesus. In a very real way, taking part in the Lord's Supper is a visual testimony of our desire and determination to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and to follow Jesus no matter what. Eating the bread and drinking the cup is a way to declare Jesus is Lord. But not only is Jesus Lord, Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, my all. Because of this, the Lord's Supper is a sacred event. It must be taken part in in the right way and with the right attitude. The church in Corinth was not doing this. And so Paul addresses it in their letter to them. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way shall be guilty. The body and the blood of the Lord. I like the way the new American standard says in an unworthy way. Some translations say unworthily, which is tough considering we're all unworthy. Our unworthiness is why we need Jesus. That's the point of the cross and the blood and the broken body. The problem in Corinth was they were is the way they were taking part in the Lord's Supper was unworthy of what they were remembering. In chapter 11, the Apostle Paul lists several ways they were taking part in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Right? There was an attitude of division within the church. Look at verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part, I believe it. Now, if you're familiar with the story of the church of Corinth, you know that the division was a main part of one of the main issues they were having at this time. There was not only division within the church, but there really wasn't a desire for unity. It wasn't like people were at odds with one another, but they were trying to work it out and they were just having problems. They were at odds with one another and they didn't want to work it out. They weren't trying to work it out. So what we should picture is when the church came together, that rather than being there united in heart and mind and soul to worship the Lord, they were murmuring against each other. There was an unwillingness to forgive one another and an unwillingness to give on non-essential issues. And so because there was this attitude of division, there was also factions and politicking. Look at verse 19. For there are also have to be factions among you. So that those who are approved may become evident among you. Right? Since they were fussing and fighting anyway, some of them were forming political factions to ensure they got their way. The best way to ensure they got their way on non-essential issues was to go around and try to get other people on their team. Right? That's, that's kind of what they were doing. They would get together and they would say, I don't want to talk. Bad about Job, but I disagree with him on this. Don't you think this is not so right? Don't you don't you agree with me, Red, that, that maybe Joe's wrong and we ought to do it the way I'm saying we ought to do it? Meanwhile, Joe was going to Gerald and he was saying, I, no, I don't have anything against Brother Stacy, but I, but I think he's probably wrong here and I think we ought to do it my way. Don't you agree, Brother Gerald? And so the, the church was split. It wasn't just that, say, me and Joe were at odds with one another. It's that we were... At odds with one another and we were working to make other people at odds with them as well. Forming our little factions. 
And since there was division, and since there were factions and politicking, there was also a, a spirit or an attitude of hypocrisy. Look at verse 20. Therefore, when you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. They came together to take part in the Lord's Supper. That's what they said. But it really wasn't what they were there to do. They were pretending they were there to take part in the Lord's Supper. They pretended they were there to proclaim the Lord's death. But they were really there for very different reasons. Some were there just to make a showing. Some were there out of a kind of a, a need to make the appearance so people would see they were there. Others probably came to, to seek to get others on their side. If I'm trying to get you on my side, I've got to be where the church is gathering so I can be sure to talk to you. And if Joe's going to be there and I'm the one that's got issues with Joe, then I for sure have to be there if he's there so he doesn't make some gains on my faction. Whatever it was, they came there not for the right reason. They came there for one reason is what they said, but they were actually there for another. And since they were all messed up like this anyway, there was just all sorts of selfish indulgence. Look at verse 21. For when you eat... Each one takes his own supper first, and one goes hungry, while another gets drunk. Now, the way they did the Lord's Supper was different than what we would do. We take part in it as an individual service. They took part in it as also a part of what we would call a fellowship meal. So what they would do is, and they were called agape feasts. They were significant. They were important. Because the church at Corinth was a church filled with... All manner of people. There were rich people and poor people. There were slaves and there were free people. There were people who were businessmen. There were people who were soldiers. There were people who were travelers through. Every, every walk of life was represented in the church at Corinth because every walk of life was represented in Corinth. Now, in their society, the rich and the poor didn't intermingle. The slave and the free didn't intermingle. Merchants and soldiers didn't intermingle. Each person kind of stayed within their own clique, their own group. The church was different. The church was a place where all of these people came together. And the rich were no more important than the poor. And the free were no more influential than the slaves. And the soldiers and the merchants agreed and, and worked together for the common good of advancing the gospel. And this was most evident when they ate together. And to a watching world, their eating together in this way was something they couldn't understand. It made them interested in what was going on within that church because of how different it was to the culture around them. But that's what it was supposed to be. But what it had become was a time when people focused on themselves and their wants. When the church gathered to eat, they broke off into their factions. But they didn't just break off into their factions. It wasn't like they all brought their food and then everybody got some and then they went over here and they went over here. Instead, I, I only brought food for people on my team. So red's on my team. Red can have my food, but the rest of y'all can't have any. And so what happened is, as everybody did that, you had those who were rich obviously could bring more than those who were poor. Those who were free had more opportunity to get things and bring them than those who were slaves. So what happens at that point? 
some people are somewhat humiliated. That they don't have much they can bring or anything. I'm not sure a slave could bring anything. So there they were without food. And they just... Meanwhile, the other groups were gorging themselves. And so rather than the church looking like the melting pot it was meant to be, the church just looked like the rest of the world. Groups and factions and separating from one another and ignoring the poor and humiliating the slaves. They looked out for one another. They looked out and cared for, number one, and everyone else could just do without. And all of this demonstrated they were careless about the sacredness of the Lord's Supper. Look at what he says in verse 22. You don't have houses in which to eat and drink or despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing. What am I to say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. The Lord's Supper had gone from a sacred time of proclaiming the death of Jesus and their allegiance to Jesus to just a tradition they were taking part of. It had no real meaning. All sense of worship was gone. It, it was essentially, it wasn't essentially, it was at this point an empty, worshipless, worthless, religious ritual. Jesus was not even remotely the focus of what they were doing or why they were there. They were the focus. Part of what we see, we need to see from this is we can take part in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner through our attitudes as well as our actions. Attitudes like divisiveness, hypocrisy, pride, selfishness. Those attitudes are unworthy of the Lord's Supper. Actions such as seeking to cause strife, living in unconfessed sin, trying to embarrass or belittle another, or are actions unworthy of the Lord's Supper. Paul lays out some serious consequences for those taking part in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Verse 27, whoever eats the bread, drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, the idea here seems to be the person will be held accountable because they are guilty of sinning against the Lord, sinning against his cross, sinning against his death, sinning against what he did for their redemption. Verse 29, it says, one who eats and drinks in this way, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the Lord's body. He eats and drinks judgment Onto himself. Such judgment, Paul indicates in verse 30, for this reason many among you are weak and sick and a number are asleep. And, and just to be clear, asleep here is a euphemism for dead. So the judgment of the Lord was seen in the church at Corinth in the fact many of them had been weakened physically and spiritually. Many of them were physically sick and some had died as a direct result of God's judgment upon them. For they're taking part of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. The consequences are serious because of what we're remembering in the Lord's Supper. When we take part in the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the death of Jesus. 
the broken body, the shed blood. So when we take part in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, we insult Jesus. We offend Jesus. We treat his death on our behalf as a common thing. Something unworthy of respect, honor, and reverence. In a way, when we take part in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, we make a mockery of what it's supposed to be and we belittle what Jesus has done for us. Very serious indeed. This is why we're encouraged, verses 28 and 31. But a person must examine himself, verse 28, verse 31. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. We're encouraged to examine ourselves before we take part in the Lord's Supper. Since taking part of the Lord's Supper is such a sacred and irreverent thing, and since we're told to examine ourselves before we take part in it, we are going to take time tonight to do just this. Everyone who plans to take part in the Lord's Supper can and can, should, come to the altar to pray in just a moment and examine themselves. And as we examine ourselves, let's be sure, one, Let's be sure we're born again disciples of Jesus. Two, let's be sure to confess any sin in our lives. Three, let's be sure to check our attitudes to ensure there's no divisiveness, no pride, no hypocrisy, no selfishness, nor any other attitudes unworthy of what we're doing. And then if we find those attitudes there, let's confess them as sin and ask God to change Our attitudes. And as we pray, as we examine ourselves, let's be sure to focus our hearts and minds on Jesus. So he is the focus of what we're about to do. Now, as free will Baptist, we believe taking part in the Lord's Supper is a great privilege given to every born again disciple of Jesus. So as free will Baptist, we practice what is called open communion. You don't have to be a member of our Free Will Baptist Church or any Free Will Baptist Church to take part in the Lord's Supper with us tonight. You merely have to be someone who has repented of their sins, trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, thus been born again. It is up to us to determine if we're ready to take part in it. It's not something anybody here would refrain you from doing. And the communion, we're going to do something different tonight with the service So the communion elements are all up here in in these self-contained cups that have everything on it. So come to examine yourself after you're through praying. Grab a communion element. Go back and be seated. If you're not going to come to the altar to pray, still come up and grab you a communion element. And when we're all finished praying, we will move on with the service. Before we get into it, I'm going to do one more, one more ask, one more thing. As I was praying about the service, something I, I, I wanted to do was to really focus tonight on, on the cross, on what Jesus has done. And we're familiar, I'm sure, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And that's, that's good. But in a way, it could be bad. It's good For us to know what Jesus has done. But it it can be bad if we let ourselves become so familiar with it. 
that we lose or forget the personal nature of what happened for us on this day. This point was really driven home to me a few years ago during a holy week. I was praying about a passage to to meditate on through the week. I had part of the holy week fast. I had given up social media altogether, and so I needed something else to do with my time. And so I was going to find a passage to just pray and read through over and over through the week. And the Holy Spirit led me to Isaiah 52, 13 through 53, 12. And I thought, well, that's a great passage, the great prediction of the suffering servant from Isaiah. It's a good passage for this. And so as I went to read it through the first time, as, as I read it, the Holy Spirit just kept speaking to me through it. So let me read this passage to you. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man and his form beyond the sons of mankind. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they had not been told, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. For who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men, a man of great pain, familiar with sickness, and like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we had no regard for him. However, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore, and our pains that he carried. And we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment of our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the wrongdoing of my people to whom the blow was due? And his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with rich man in his death because he had done no violence. Nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord desired to crush him, causing him grief. If he renders himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper at his hand. And as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many, for he will bear their wrongdoing. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the plunder with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was counted with wrongdoers. Yet he himself bore my sin, the sin, and he bore the sin of many and interceded for the wrongdoers. As I read through that passage that day several years ago, the Holy Spirit just kept saying, for you. For you, for you. So I went through my Bible and I put myself in there, writing for me, I am, my, in all of the places to, to see. So that every time I read it from that point on, I would be, I would never forget that what happened on the cross that day happened because of me and happened for me. 
So what I want us to do tonight is do a bit of a responsive reading through the whole chapter. I'll put the, the, the words on the screen. I'll read the white words. And then together we'll all read the red words. And I've put them up there as I have them in my Bible with putting us in the text. So, behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many people were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man for me and his form beyond the sons of mankind for me. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they had not been told, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? They grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He has no stately form of majesty that we should look at him, nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised and abandoned by men for me. As a, ma- a man of great pain, familiar with sickness, and like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised for me, and I had no regard for him. However, it was my sickness that he carried. He, it was my sickness he himself bore and my pain that he carried. Yet I assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But he was pierced for my offenses. He was crushed for my wrongdoings. The punishment for my well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds I am healed. Like a sheep I have gone astray. I have turned to my own way. But the Lord caused my wrongdoing to fall upon him. He was oppressed and afflicted for me. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth for me. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for me? For my wrongdoing, the blow was due. And his grave was assigned with wicked men for me. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord desired to crush him for me, causing him grief for me. If he renders himself as a guilt offering for me, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And as a result, the anguish of his soul for me, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify me for he bore my wrongdoings. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with a great, and he will divide plunder with a strong. Because he poured out his life unto death for me, and was counted with the wrongdoers for me. Yet he himself bore my wrongdoings, and interceded for me a wrongdoer. Now we'll take part in the Lord's Supper. So, get your bread. There's a top layer. That releases the bread. And you have it holds up so I can see we all have it.
second part's easier. The Lord Jesus, the same time in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let's eat in remembrance of Christ's body, which was broken for us. Get your cup, prepare your cup. After the same manner also, he took the cup. And when he had drank, he said, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink in remembrance of Christ's blood, which was shed for the remission of our sins. And may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, that is Jesus our Lord, Equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you'll stand, we'll pray and be dismissed.